Welcome to Take This Poem Podcast, where we explore the rich, wild things that good poems can do in the everyday lives of ordinary folks. I'm your host, Mary Guidis. Whether you're a longtime poetry lover like I am, or just barely interested, I invite you to take this poem. I hope it amends the soil of your life. I am so glad to be joined by a special guest today, a poet from my own town. So one of my many dreams for this podcast is coming true right now. And to make it even more fun, the story of how this guest came to join me started with a poem that was given to me as a gift, just like I was ranting on and on about in episode one. So the story was last month, a friend, hi, Jesse, delivered me a note And in it, she wrote out by hand a poem by a local poet, Bethany Lee. The poem pleased me, and instantly I hoped I could twist Bethany's arm into sharing some more of her work and her heart for poetry here on this show. And she's so gracious, I didn't even have to twist very hard. So today I have with me Bethany Lee. She's a musician and writer, a hospice harpist, choral accompanist and author of a collection of poetry called The Breath Between, An Invitation to Mystery and Joy, which you can find around Newburgh. We were just talking about that. I've seen it at chapters, so keep your eyes out. Um, Bethany, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me today. It's so good to be here. Thank you. Um, You know that this podcast and I am really interested in the role that poetry plays in plain old, everyday, ordinary life. Um, So I was hoping you could share a little bit about the role that poetry plays in your everyday life. And I'd be interested to hear how it compares and contrasts with your music, since you do both of those things. If you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I do feel like the two overlap, but are very distinct. And I don't know how much of that has to do with the fact that Music is something I have done since I was very young, since I was three. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, poetry is something that I have written more in the last 20 years or so. Um, Although at our most recent Thanksgiving gathering a couple of years ago, my dad did pull out a poem I had written at 11. And let's just say Mm -hmm. I was not an early bloomer. (laughs) (laughs) That's neat. He kept it all that time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Music tends to be a little more technical for me when I'm when I'm in the middle of making music. I have to think a lot about um, placement of my hands, or if I'm singing, you know, what's happening with my voice. Um, mm. And poetry ends up being a little more like prayer for me. Um, I have a friend who's a photographer who says every place is a poem, and. I feel a lot of similarity between poetry and art, the way Mm -hmm. a a photograph can stop me in my tracks and take me to that place of attention. And Mm -hmm. poetry does that for me. Um, Music demands all of my attention in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, But poetry feels like stepping through a door into a Mm -hmm. room. And um, over the years of reading poetry and writing poetry, that room has gotten more and more familiar to me. Um, Mm. And that's just a real gift in my life. Yeah, 
Neat. So do you read and write often? Is it kind of part of your daily rhythm or is it something that comes more in fits of inspiration during different seasons? You know, when I was first uh, feeling drawn toward more writing in my life, I had two little kids. And so the only way that I could find space for writing was to go to workshops or take Um, solo retreats, really set aside some scheduled time for that sort of thing. Um, It wasn't the kind of thing I could just sit down peacefully on my couch by my window with my toddlers and expect to get any sort of inspiration to come. Mm -hmm. Um, And that structure still holds, even though my girls are both grown. Um, It's really useful for me to write with a group I Mm. thankfully have found some ways to do that by Zoom during the pandemic um, Mm. or to set aside a a weekend or a week. Um, I have some places that I can go to get away and dedicate time for writing. I know a lot of writers Mm. talk about having a daily practice. They write every morning Mm. or they write every evening. And um, my rhythms tend to be a little less... um, a little more arrhythmic, I guess, in mm-hmm. my life. So I yeah. have a stack of poetry near at all times, and there's always something within reach to pull off the shelf, but it's not yeah. a steady schedule. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of reading, though, is probably preparing you for when you do have those disciplined, set-aside retreats Yeah, have been reading along in the meantime. Mm-hmm. It's probably helpful in its own way. Absolutely. Well, let's jump in with a poem. I was hoping you could maybe share for us the Snail Wines, a Snail Wines poem, which is the one that Jesse wrote out for me in the note. Yes. Thank you. A snail winds her own home from what she encounters on the way, coils from the earth a shell of stone, safety for her softness, ever larger at the edges. If she traveled faster, she might miss the gifts that came her way. It takes time to transform dust into shelter. Thank you. I love that. It reminds me of what you were talking about with your friend, the photographer, just that you saw this snail as something so small but deserving of that artistic attention and that thought nothing too small for the poet to pay attention to and think about and and just that idea too of literally matter being transformed from one thing into another and the snail somehow being able to do that it's just always incredible I love it yeah this is um All my favorite poems are ones that surprise me, whether they're poems that I read or poems that I write. And Mm -hmm. I feel like if there's room, even in my own work, for something to surprise me, then hopefully there will be room for the reader to find themselves in it as well, to be surprised by it as well. Yeah, that's a neat one. So I, I love it. My friend loved it enough to write it to me. And you shared with me earlier, someone's out there with a tattoo of that very poem. So... Yes. That's the kind of physical engagement that most poets can only dream of people having with their work. (laughs) That's amazing. This one is such a wee little poem, and um, Mm -hmm. I didn't know how important it was going to become for me. Um, The collection came out, and 
over the last uh, year and a half or so since then, this has just brightened and brightened as one of the one of the stars of that mm. collection for me. That's so beautiful. Little snail. Um, okay, well, I'm really excited to hear what else you've brought because that was the one I asked you to bring, but then you can choose what else to share with us today. And Sure. Um, I brought a piece called Written on the Side of the Road, Nearly Weeping. He was only giving me my receipt, his gas-stained hands reaching through my window with a slip of paper I promptly discarded in the trash bag on the floor. But I had heard him breathe a deep, sad sigh as he walked up to the pump to perform the benediction. And so I said, I hope you have a good day, like I really meant it, because I really did. I saw the look in his eyes when his heart caught the truth my heart was saying underneath. You matter. You are beloved. I love you. I love you. I could feel the shutters fall closed on my face as I looked away first, started the car, and drove off from the cathedral. Because people with propriety don't let their soul show in public. It is not socially acceptable to love this much, even especially the ones who need it most. And I am often afraid of the fire I would ignite if I let the flint strike. Love has spilled out all over this world. The fumes of love are heavy in the air. If I look, I can see it shimmer. Every day, be a falling spark. Shut off the sprinklers. Hide the hoses. Let it burn. Hmm. Wow. I love reading poems with my eyes. Like, that's generally what I do. But that was so fun to listen to you tell me that story a good story and that no it's just so lovely to receive it through my ears in that way I too feel like yeah. I want to look at a piece mm -hmm. on the page before I can really take it in it's such a different experience to be at an open mic or something and hear all of the poets share and just have that one first glance uh, that one opportunity for it to wash over you and never hear it again right. it's so interesting it, how different the experience it, is it is I have to be forced to that because my first instinct is to look at the words and let the form kind of help me understand but I feel like it's almost trust when I'm just sitting and listening and yes. trusting the words to go in and make sense in a completely different way so yes this is fun. Is there anything you could share about the writing of that poem or why it was one that you chose to share today? Yeah. So um, that piece is one that uh, is very straightforwardly just what it is. It was written on the side of the road. I had pulled away from this gas station, having had a moment of connection with this stranger that we often shut ourselves off from. And yet, when we live more porous to the world, it's there 
every moment. Mm -hmm. Love has spilled Mm -hmm. out. It's heavy in the air. Mm -hmm. Um, And I recognized my own uh, withdrawal from that and just Mm -hmm. wanted to think that through on paper. Um, I love that uh, this is an option that we have as humans to write something down, to ask ourselves mm-hmm. a question and write our way to, if not an answer, at least another question. Um, yeah. So I sometimes write um, like the little snail poem, something that's a little shorter, uh, something that's about an idea. And sometimes it's about a moment in time like this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I am very interested in the in p- confessional poetry, so to speak. And I, I feel like the one you just read had just a hint of that, like something happened and then you had the chance to think about it later and put it into art and maybe be thinking like confessing. I put up a shell. That's my first instinct. And to be able to work through that in a way that then can be shared by other people. Sure. And I just love seeing little hints of that. Someone willing to say this, this is not, this is what I did. That's amazing. But this is what I did. And now, you know, looking back and wondering about that. And it's like a second chance. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I am also working on a memoir about the year that my family spent sailing down the West coast of the U S and Mexico and back again. And, um, I, I feel so much overlap between that and my poetry. Not really almost no one gets to spend a year sailing. Like that's mm-hmm. just not something that very many people get the opportunity to do. And yet I never want those stories to be the kind of stories that say, look at this amazing thing we did, look at how cool we are, but mm-hmm. always invite Um, the reader to come along and to Mm -hmm. see their own story um, in the particulars of mine because there's so many universals there's so many connections that we have through writing and through Mm -hmm. reading Mm -hmm. so that's my hope for the poetry as well is that it um, invites the reader in yeah what's the status of that book the memoir about the sailing are you writing that currently yeah, I am in the middle of doing uh, rewrites and edits for a publisher on the East Coast. So, but things are very stalled out because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So we don't have a release date scheduled yet. Mm-hmm. That might be nice in a way. Just work on it in a relaxed manner. Exactly. Yeah, I have a feeling that no matter what, um, no matter how long it takes to get it out, it will. Um, both the publisher and I just have a strong sense that it, the timing will be right whenever it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. I'll look forward to that. <laughs> um, how about one more, if you have one, one more poem? Sure. I've been thinking about this one this week. I think a lot of people struggle to know if what they have to offer the world is enough. I think Mm -hmm. it's a question that I hear myself asking and I know I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. Especially right now when it's so difficult for any of us to help 
Um, if we have the privilege to be able to stay home, like I do right now, I can't go out and lift the burden from the mm -hmm. essential workers who are holding our society together. Mm -hmm. And one of my daughters and her husband will be moving soon, and I can't even help them move. Um, I can't literally lift their burden. Mm -hmm. So it's hard sometimes to feel like um, what it is that we each have to offer is just right. And um, I was asking myself some of those questions when this poem emerged. Who would ever say to the maple tree, you are not doing enough to save the world? Or speak to the trillium saying, your life is too fragile to matter. With roots both deep and wide, each holds the earth together with the force of being what they are, with the power of being whole. Hmm. That's beautiful. If it's okay with you, I'm going to ask you a less romantic question, a nitty gritty one. Perfect. I loved on your website that I saw you wrote a consistently casual attitude towards housekeeping is one of your keys to being able to be free to do your ministries and your artistic endeavors. So I was wondering about that. How, what have you been able to reconcile with the everyday duties and then time to create and what have you made peace with letting go and how have you worked that out? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, it's a little tongue in cheek, but it's true. When my kids were little, I would mop the kitchen anytime someone spilled a glass of water. And that was about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And now I figure if you mop the kitchen every quarter instead of every week, maybe it takes you twice as long, but that still saves you like 10 moppings, right? Saves yeah. so much time and energy. I um, deal with maintaining uh, living with a chronic illness. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of days that my energy levels are lower than I'd like. And um, if I didn't let something go, I would never get around to the things that really matter to me. So, mm. like I said, when I was first starting to write, it was in a season of life that required it to be in a set-aside time. And mm. that still works pretty well for me. But in terms of energy maintenance, I mm. definitely need to let some things go. And thankfully, my family has a similar tolerance to mess that I do. Nobody mm -hmm. cares if the dishes have piled up a little bit. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's important for me to keep reorienting um, back to what it is I really want to be spending my time on. Yeah, let those dust bunnies lie once in a while. Mm -hmm. Let them be under those dressers if you don't have the energy for that. I know I'm always trying to find that balance between diligently doing my tasks, which I know are my jobs, to keep the food and the clothes kind of moving, but not to let it get bigger than what it should be, like trying to get to a point where it looks like nobody lives here, like everything's so tidy that it sure. doesn't look like anyone's eaten or played. And I was thinking back on my favorite 
friends' houses when I was a child and just remembering the mom making a quilt and lots of animals and, you know, it wasn't super clean. It wasn't perfect. It, everything felt so lived in in those homes. And it was inspiring to me to see adults creating and doing those things that they wanted to do kind of in the midst of life happening. And maybe it's because Instagram wasn't around back then. So no one was thinking of taking photos of a perfect living room to show the world. But (laughs) it just, those are the memories I have of that felt like a home. And my home is included in that. My mom was, loved her garden and her quilts and we Mm -hmm. had lots of kids and animals around. So Mm -hmm. that's just always a balance, you know, not to slack off, to take it seriously, to keep the home hygienic, Mm -hmm. but also to leave space to create. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have a project table in our very small dining room shoved up against the corner and Mm -hmm. it's covered with soldering irons and sewing machines and all sorts of things. I think that that is part of our family culture. Mm -hmm. Um, There has been boat building in my living room and there's harps and instruments everywhere. So um, yeah, it it isn't just me who wants to drop things and make or be creative. It's fun that that's something we all value. So nobody's um, getting on my case if I Mm -hmm. throw pasta in a pot one more night for dinner instead of making something more elaborate. They're always supportive. Creative family. What a fun Mm -hmm. atmosphere. I love that. So I have a couple questions before we go. One is I wanted you to share what poets do you find yourself turning to repeatedly? I know many people listening to this podcast are maybe a little newer to poetry and it might help to hear some solid options to try out if they're interested. So who are your favorites? Well, probably um, the poet who takes up the most shelf space on my poetry shelf is Mary Oliver. I love her Mm -hmm. work and um, she's super accessible and and deep. I really appreciate Mm -hmm. her work. I love reading Hafez and Rumi, Gerard Manley Hopkins and William Mm -hmm. Stafford and Rilke. Mm -hmm. But I also really love that... um, I've been surprised at how, even though poetry tends to be a pretty solitary work, I've met so many amazing poets in the Portland area in the last Mm. few years. Mm -hmm. And um, so I love um, reading people who have become my friends, people I've met at an open mic or um, through a publisher who I liked. so many wonderful options. Peg Edera and Juniper Klatt and Joe Boswell are all published through Fernwood Press, um, who okay. published my first book and will be bringing the next collection out. Rebecca Smolin and um, so many amazing people in the area. Yeah, that is such a different and intimate and cool experience to read the poetry of your friends to Mm -hmm. have their books on your shelves and I'm gonna have to listen to this later and write those down so I can check them out I don't know any of those people I know so many of the the dead classic poets but not as many that are on the scene today so thank you yeah um so before we go I wanted to give you a chance to let us know 
where can we go if we want to keep up with what you're doing, your projects, to know more about your book? How can we find you out there in the webs? Sure. Yeah. Come find me at bethanyjoylee.com. Um, okay. And I, my email address is listed there as well. If anybody mm-hmm. wants more recommendations for poetry, I'd love to hear from you. Um, or just, you know, to connect with some of your listeners if they want to talk poetry sometime. I have a YouTube channel if you search for Bethany Lee, and I've recorded some pieces of poetry and some of my music. Um, Sometimes there's a piece of poetry set to music. That's Mm. an awful lot of fun as well. So you can find me there. And um, my my book, if you are looking and you don't live in the Newburgh area, you can find (laughs) it on um, the Barclay Press website. Fernwood Press is the poetry imprint of Barclay Press. So you okay. could find it there. I find it at pals.com or Amazon, anywhere you look for books, it should be available. Um, okay. The new book, Etude for Belonging, will be out sometime this year. So I'm excited about that. Hopefully um, it's still a little up in the air the scheduling mm-hmm. of that release. Um, the pandemic has slowed not just our energy, but also so much of the publishing process. Um, right. But it'll come out when it comes out, and it'll be it'll be fun to launch that into the world. Yeah, that's something to look forward to. And because you... it keeps um, getting pushed out, I keep adding poems to it. Yeah, so that's <laughs> it's going to be big and beefy by the time it finally gets to us. Yes. Well, I'll keep my eyes peeled for that. And in the meantime, thank you so much for joining me and just for your part in keeping the poetry torch burning in our hometown and our world. Absolutely. It's really fun to connect with you. I wonder if I could leave you with one last piece. Oh, yes. Yay. <clears throat> this one doesn't have a title yet. Um, when I launched the first book not every poem in there is titled because I am really terrible at titles Mm -hmm. but um one of my poet friends Kim Stafford talks about a title as being a lens that helps you see a poem more clearly and this one the lens hasn't come yet uh, because it's brand new um but when you were hard They're hard. When you were talking about um, keeping the poetry burning, I just really wanted to share this. Yes, please do. Perfect way to end. If all of it is burning in the kindled flame of life, and time itself is blazing future's fuel to yesterday's ash, if it's all going up in smoke, today's tasks remaining not a cosmic moment more, or less than redwoods, cathedrals, constellations. All I can do is decide what to feed the fire, choose my incense wisely, burn beauty. Hmm. Thank you, Bethany, and thank you for your burning beauty. Thank you for having me. So nice to talk to you. Part of my vision for this podcast was to have it be interactive. I pictured a virtual bonfire poetry reading where friends, family, local poets, and you can come together to warm our hands on some poetry. 
If there's a poem that has done some action in your everyday life, surprised you, delighted you, or maybe just more quietly worked its way into your bones, you know I would love to hear about it. Email me at takethispoempodcast at gmail.com and let me know your story. Maybe you can join me in sharing it with others as well.